draw your attention this morning back to Ephesians 1. Back to Ephesians 1. Start with verse 7 this morning, and we'll read through verse 10. We dealt with uh, most of the verse, uh, verse 7 last week, but let's start there. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, that is, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning, Lord, and we are in awe of Your grace, in awe of Your mercy, Lord, we would bow before you today in worship and praise and adoration for, for the, the giving of the riches of your grace in and through Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the redemption that has been purchased for us through his blood. We thank you for the spirit who has applied that, that redemption to his people. Lord, we thank you that, that you planned this before the foundation of the world, that that we might be holy and blameless before you, that you predestined us to adoption, that you made those who were enemies to you your children. Lord, speak to us through your word this morning, Lord. We long to hear your word. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us eyes to see. Be with those who can't be with us, Lord. We pray that you would just visit them today where they're at, that they might know your presence, that you might draw them to your word, Lord, that they might also hear from you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, in my 40-some-odd years of living, I can remember about 42 of my 40 some odd years, maybe 43 to some extent. But I've had the opportunity to see some pretty amazing things, visit some pretty beautiful places, um, been to some museums, I've been to some national parks, I've visited some battlefields and some major historic sites within the United States. I've been blessed to be able to travel pretty much all of the United States. I think I have five states left to visit. Out of, the, out of the 50. And some of these sites have pretty significant importance in our history. Some of these works of art are fairly valuable due to what they represent or who it was that painted them or crafted them. And it's always amazed me as we visit different places, the pace which some people just go through a national park or a museum. 
And it's like they're almost have a checkoff list of got to see this. It's a got to see checkoff list. And they go up and they take a look and they check it off and they're on to the next thing. I have trouble sometimes not saying, whoa, slow down a minute. Take a look at what we have here. You know, just, just stand in awe for a second in what's before you. Think about it. Think about who it was that made these things. So many times at the parks that we've been to, some of the most grand, beautiful scenes, you just can sit there and be in awe of the majesty and the splendor of the created work of God Almighty and what He has done. There are a lot of things that, uh, that we need to just stand and, and watch for a moment. We talked a little bit in a different, a different perspective on that a little bit last week. But do we take the time to consider the weight of things? Do we take the time to consider the reason for the things that we see, the things that we experience? Maybe the, the story or the history leading up to those things that we see before us and why those things are important. They really make all the difference in how we are affected by these things and how we experience them. Or, or maybe I should say that, that there's a difference between seeing something and experiencing something. We're, we're so often in this rush. Our lives are full of rushing around, are they not? That we, we just pass things by. We just take a glance and we don't really, really think about these things. Think about the songs that we sang this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, see from his head, his hands, and his feet. It wasn't enough for Isaac Watts, brilliant, brilliant hymn writer, brilliant man, period, but it wasn't enough for him just to take a glance at the cross. He surveyed the cross. He took it all in. He pondered its meaning. He pondered its effect. He pondered who it was that died upon that cross, who it was that sent him to that cross, and who it was that has benefit from him being on that cross and dying and shedding his blood. He looked intently. And then we sang a Charles Gabriel hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. It wasn't enough for him just to, to view Jesus in passing. He stood and he viewed the Savior. He contemplated how he could love him, a sinner condemned unclean. We sang a Fanny Crosby song from a little bit different perspective. Do we understand why the theme of her hymns are so profound? Why was it so important that her Savior lead her? So merciful was her Savior to guide her. It takes on a lot more meaning when we know and we understand that Fanny Crosby had no sight. She often sang or wrote hymns, I should say, that we sing of seeing her Savior. She longed to see 
the Savior. But so thankful was she that he was her guide. He was the one who led her. Someone speaking to her one time said, you know, Miss Crosby, your, 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 your master has blessed you with so many things. It's a shame that he didn't bless you with sight. And she stopped him and she kind of rebuked him. And she said, if I could have asked for one thing when I was born, it would be that I would not have sight. For the very first sight that gladdens this face will be the sight of my Savior. So when you, when you read the hymns, when you sing the hymns by Fanny Crosby, they take on so much more meaning when you look at the reason why she wrote the words that she wrote. To understand what it was that she was thinking about. Longing to see for the first time light actually came into her eyes and she saw to have the Savior be the one that first gladdened her face. I mentioned Mark Webb last week, a pastor friend of ours. He wrote a song called Once Upon a River. And when you hear the story behind the song, the song is brilliant. It's amazing in and of itself. But when you hear the story behind it and see how that is a picture of God sovereignly saving man from the predicament that they're in, it takes on a whole new level of meaning. Well, we looked last week at the great redemption given to us by the plan of the Father and purchased for us by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who ransomed us from our captivity to sin by His substitutionary work that He provided forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins. But we always have to be careful that we don't just take a passing glance at this truth, checking it off in a box as a must-see truth. Paul goes on to give us more here this morning, and I pray we will be blessed this morning to survey, to stand and consider some of what he goes on to tell us, and then I pray this will be in your mind and your heart throughout this, this week and into the future that you'll be continually brought to remembrance of these things that Paul declares to us, that we are given to know and to consider from the inspired Word of God. In verse 7, he speaks to us of this redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We see here in our text what this redemption, this forgiveness springs from and what it's according to. Paul tells us that it's according to the riches of his grace. This, great, the, this grace, this deep, this, uh, this bottomless, this, this great storehouse of riches are both the cause and the gift that is given to us in the work of Christ. The value of these riches... The worth of them must be viewed in the light of the cost to acquire them. That price that's paid to secure them, 
This is what we do when we place a value on something, is it not? If we, if we have a, a piece of artwork, what do we value it at? It's, it's valued at what it cost. Maybe what it was sold at last time for these high, high, you know, highly sought after pieces of art. Or a home. We, we, we look at the value of a home often as, as how much it will cost to build or acquire this house. We look at the price that is to be paid or the price already having been paid to make that purchase. And I know we dealt with this last week, but we should, we should never tire of hearing of the price that was paid to secure our redemption. The price that was paid to give us the forgiveness of sins. This, this the riches of His grace that He has given to us. The triune God gave of himself to pay this price. It was a gift, a payment that is priceless. The the creator himself making payment for the creature. And not just a creature, but a creature who is at enmity to him. Infinite value in the blood of Christ. The riches of his glorious grace, his exceeding riches, his never-ending storehouse, this never-ending, this bottomless storehouse of the riches of God himself given to us by way of the death of Jesus Christ. That's the payment. That's the worth. That it cost Christ Jesus, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. It cost him his life. Well, I'm confident that we have some understanding of the worth of these riches and the immeasurable price that has been paid. But let us also look at how we may appreciate these riches in the way that they are bestowed upon us. I want us to realize that we do not seek, we did not really request these riches. Now, I'm, I'm not discounting at all that there is a, a, a time in which the Holy Spirit working within us, drawing us to the Savior, makes us willing in the day of His power and that we search for the cross of Christ. But these riches are given without being sought. They were given and placed there for us long before the foundation of the world. This was before we had any inkling, any idea that we might have a need. Thousands of years, if not much longer, before we were ever born. These riches are freely given. They are truly a gift, which Paul tells us he has lavished upon us. This overabundance, I believe that that's the meaning that's contained in here, in this lavishing these riches upon us. It would be one thing if we had sought the gift out of his riches and asked for it, but remember, once again, when the plan for this gift 
was put into motion. It was put into motion in eternity past. We are destined by God. We are predestined by God to be the recipients of the riches of his grace. Not only that, but he gives us grace to even see our need. Does he not? It's the Spirit of God who convicts of sin, who gives us glimpses of our sinful nature and depraved hearts that we may look to the one who is the source of these blessings, these riches that we may have in Christ. We're given grace to be able to see the storehouse of his riches in the person, the work, the cross, the substitution of Christ himself. And what is the purpose of this? That we may ascribe glory to him for doing this. Glory back to him in realization of the great gift which is given for us, the immeasurable worth of that grace, the unspeakable riches, as scripture talks about these, these gifts, unspeakable riches of grace, which have been made, which we have been made recipients of when we had no way in and of ourselves to access them. And he does this in such an amazing way. He doesn't do this in a measured way. He doesn't do it in a begrudging way or a reluctant way. Our text says in verse 8, which he lavished upon us. He gifts his grace to us extravagantly, gratuitously. He gives these things to us. I think that's what is pictured for us in what we read in our earlier reading from Luke 15. In Luke 15, where we were earlier uh, in our congregational scripture reading, Christ is telling a parable about a man who had two sons, one of which desired to have his inheritance early, and he went and squandered this inheritance with reckless living. Sounds a bit... uh, like we do even with the common grace that he gives us. The, the breath that we have when we wake up every morning. Every, every day that we, we wake up, we take in a breath and we sin against him. We go about our day without acknowledging the source of life. We sin against the one who made us and has given us everything that we have. It's, it, it's what's described, I think, for us in Romans 1. In Romans 1, 21 through 22, we have a, an amazing view of the nature of fallen man. And it says in verse 21 through 22, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkening, Darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the way we live in our natural fallen state as human beings. No thankfulness. No thoughts for God and what He has given us. No thoughts for the very breath that He gives us to breathe. Well, this son 
in Luke 15, sold himself or hired himself out to a citizen of another country. Uh, And that man sent him to his field to feed his pigs. And it is here that the realization that this man has, this, this son, of the great riches that his father has. He's brought to mind that he was without anything. He has this realization that he doesn't even have the feed that the pigs have to eat. It is here we find him in conviction of sin. In Luke 15, 18 through 19, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he leaves and he goes back from the the country where he's at. And he goes back to his father's home. And his father sees him. And what was his response? Did he just bring him in and, and, and give him a little food to satisfy his hunger? Did he just take him in and say, here, you can sleep here with the hired servants? No, he clothed him in his best robe. He put a ring upon him. He put shoes on his feet and he called for the fatted calf. None of this was necessary. All he wanted was food to eat. All he wanted was to be out of that field where the pigs lived. But his father lavished his grace upon him. The son certainly had need for grace to be given, right? But look at the manner in which it was given. His father lavished him with this grace. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Our text says. I believe this is what our text is pointing to in the treatment of the father to the son in the story of the prodigal son in the in the parable. Tells us that redemption and forgiveness has been secured through the blood of Christ, but we have to note the manner in which these riches and this grace is given to us, do we not? We have to. These riches have been lavished upon us. Abundance of grace has been shown to us. Bottomless riches have been poured upon His people. The overflowing worth of Christ's blood flooding us with the riches of His grace. And it's without price. Oh, it's pricely. But to us... It's without price. Isaiah 55, one of our favorite verses that we quote very often, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What did Christ tell the woman at the well? If you had just asked me, I'd give you water and you'd never thirst again lavished upon us the riches of His grace. 
Revelation 21.6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Giving life without price. Revelation 20, 22.17, further on in that chapter, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let, it, let everyone who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. This is no ordinary water. This is the riches of God's grace that he lavishes upon us. And he did this all in the second part of verse 8. In all wisdom and insight, into verse 9, making known to us, the mystery of His will. Even this is a part of the riches of His grace which He lavishes upon us. He does this so that we may know something. And here in our text, it is that we may know the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He, he set forth in Christ. It's His will, it's His purpose that He sets forth in Christ. All done by Him, but lavished upon us. He has given us grace that we may be made wise to this mystery, that we may be given insight into this plan of God, this purpose of God set forth in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul deals with this as well in Romans 16, 25 through 27. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to, known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Does that not sound very similar? This mystery revealed to us through and because of the work of Jesus Christ. Christ himself also spoke of a, of a mystery when his disciples questioned him about his use of parables. And I think this kind of sums up for us uh, it, it, what our text is, is, is talking about with this mystery. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. I think before we read the, the part of the text I want to read, uh, I think it's good for us to understand a little bit about the context of this. Right before this, he tells him a parable before he, he deals with his, his disciples. It's the parable of, of the sower. How this sower went out to sow and threw his seeds on various types of ground. We're, we're familiar with this. The only seed that produced anything that was lasting or worthwhile, was seed that was sown on good soil. 
that soil had been worked and prepared and tilled. Brad knows something about this with his garden, right? You've got to work it. It's not fallow soil where weeds have grown up and will strangle out anything that attempts to grow. It's not hard-packed soil. This is the parable that right before he deals with his, his disciples in, in verse 10 through 17 of Matthew 13, he says something, well, let's, let's read this. Uh, a crowd had gathered, right? Um, and Matthew, 10, or Matthew 13, 10, when the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? This crowd had gathered and he had given this parable of the sower to the crowd. And I think there were a lot of people there and probably the disciples even to a certain extent who just didn't understand what it was that Christ was talking about. So they go to Christ and they ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? And in verse 11, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even that he has, even that, even, excuse me, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their, case, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes." For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, in verse 9, at the end of his parable, do you see what Christ says to the crowd that had gathered? He who has ears, let him here. It is the grace of God, the riches of His grace, that even prepares the soil for the sower. That gives ears to hear. These are part of the riches of His grace. Every person in that crowd had physical ears. Did they not? But not all of them had ears to hear. To you, he says, it has been given to know the secrets, to know the mystery, to be given insight into these things that others cannot. Why? Because it's God's grace that gives wisdom and insight. Blessed are you, Christ says, you have been given grace that your eyes see, that your ears hear. Those things that are mysteries have been revealed to you 
through the grace, to the, through the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon you. For God has made them known to us. He's revealed the mystery to His people. He's given them wisdom and insight through, his, through the riches of His grace. This mystery is not something that is incomprehensible to the human mind, but it must be revealed. We can understand it, this mystery, but it has to be revealed to us. And this mystery revealed in all wisdom and insight, which was a mystery hidden for ages, was according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ Jesus. There are many who longed to see the outcome of those promises that we find in the Old Testament. They were shrouded in mystery. The prophets of old were given glimpses, given glimpses of the Messiah, given types and shadows of the Messiah and what He would do. This is a part of the mystery that Paul is speaking of here. In Christ, this all becomes clear. Once the promised one has arrived, once Emmanuel appeared, once the Messiah was born, once he walked in flesh on this earth and gave his life a ransom, once he rose from the grave, these things were revealed to us. The mystery was made clear in the person of Jesus Christ. God has given us wisdom and insight through the preaching of the Word to fully see what the prophets had to say was about Jesus Christ. Christ Himself shared something early in His ministry in Luke 4, 16-21. If you want to turn there, you can. And He came to Nazareth, His hometown, where He had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The prophets of old would have loved to have seen that day. Would have loved to have seen it. But here is the mystery. Hidden through the ages. Being fulfilled and made known in your presence. Today, Christ says, the scripture 
is fulfilled. And what was the purpose of the scripture that he read that was fulfilled? Good news. Liberty for the captives. Eyes that see. Is, that, is this not what Paul is praising God for in Ephesians 1? The mystery has been revealed. The riches of His grace which He lavished upon us, He has given us to know in wisdom and in insight, in discernment, through the Word, through the working of the Spirit with His Word to make known to us that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the promised one. And what's the ultimate purpose of this? Paul tells us that He made known to us the mystery of His will in verse 9 of Ephesians 1, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things in earth. This is not universalism. This is not. This is not everybody that ever walked on the face of the earth is going to end up in heaven. God's people. It's not what this is. This is the uniting of all those for whom Christ died. Together. Making them one in Him. This is, this is Him seeing the the reality of the charge given to the disciples, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Since I've been given authority in heaven and on earth, all authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. We see this as a vision in Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, John, the apostle, has this vision. And in Revelation 5, 6 through 10, he states, And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, now listen to their song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language 
and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Here is the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. I can't sum this up any better or more eloquent than the Apostle himself who wrote our text says in another epistle. In Romans 8, in Romans 8, starting with verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to revealed to us. For creation, even creation, awaits this time. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits, first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons." this redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is, not, is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows that it. What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the plan set forth in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. This is the plan for him to unite all things in one that all those who were called by the Father, all those who were predestined to adoption might be one. That He's going to gather them all together and they're all going to be glorified. There's not a single one who was called that will not be predestined. There's not one who was predestined that will not be justified. 
And there is not one who was justified that will not also be glorified because they're in Christ Jesus. And we'll later read in Ephesians that they were sealed by the Holy Spirit with a seal that is unbreakable. Unbreakable. This is what God, by the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us, has made known to us. Which was a mystery, but now has been revealed according to His purpose as a plan, which we've read about here this morning. This is not something that is hidden from His people. This, is, this has been revealed through His Word, the working of the Spirit with His Word. The riches of His grace are a present reality to His people. It's not something that's reserved as some sort of surprise when we draw our last breath. He is now lavishing His people with the riches of His grace. And what's it to? It's to the praise of His glory. It's to the praise of His glory. Paul could not keep quiet about this, could he? He just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He's writing this text that we have, that we've been looking at from Ephesians. He's writing this text from a prison cell. Think about this. He's writing it from a prison cell. And he knew that even time itself that he was given was of the riches of his grace, of God's grace, and was being lavished upon him. Notice that he didn't spend that time concerned with Roman law trying to free himself. He didn't reach out to his wealthy donors for his ministry to get them to bribe officials or buy his way out of prison. He didn't even wallow in misery and pity. He rested, if you look at Ephesians 1, he rested in the will of the one who called him to be an apostle, to the one who made him an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he encouraged the faithful saints in the grace and the peace of God while he sat in a prison cell. He wrote to them and he encouraged them by setting before them the plan of the Father that he put into motion before the foundation of the world. He reminded them of the work of Jesus Christ in making the plan of the Father a present reality for them. And he reminded them of how the Spirit applies these things to the hearts and to the lives of those for whom Christ died, for those who were chosen of the Father. And he gives wisdom and insight to make these things clear to his people through the Spirit. And he prays ceaselessly for them, sitting in a prison cell. 
praying ceaselessly for those who he wants to share the gospel with. Think about the effect that this knowledge, this this wisdom, this insight had on Paul's life. That he would sit in a prison cell worrying about those that were scattered throughout all these different places wanting to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I may be in a prison cell, but I've got good news for you. I've got good news. What are we doing with the riches of His grace? What are we doing with that which He lavishes upon us? Are we caught up in the tragedy of this world? Or are we set free from the bondage of it to live for His glory and His honor, to His praise of His glorious grace, to share with others so that they might be fellow heirs of those same promises, the same riches of His grace? You know, I uh, was talking with a with a guy this more uh, this this last week, um, young man that's a officer in another city, and uh, meet with him about every two weeks and talking about those that he works with that are lost, and he shares the gospel with them every single day. He understands. He gets it. These, these things have been revealed to him to the praise of the glory of God so that he might be an ambassador of Christ as well. That's the effect it should have on us. And to those that are outside of Christ, how are you going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation? How are you going to escape? There's no other way. There's none. You know, I, I would beg of God, plead with Him that He would visit you with the riches of His grace if you are burdened with your sin. Plead with Him. There's a, there's a passage of Scripture that I think of often when I think of those who are outside of the mercies of of God at this present time. In Matthew 15, 21 through 28, there's there's a Canaanite woman who had come into the region where Christ was and she had a daughter that was oppressed by a demon. And she longed to see her daughter relieved of this oppression. And this woman was a Gentile. She was outside of the Jewish nation, outside of Israel. And the people of Israel often called those who were outside some derogatory terms. Dogs was one of them. Gentile dogs. 
But she asked for healing of Christ for her daughter. And Jesus told her that it wasn't right that that which was for the children be given to dogs. You remember what she said? She came back and said, yes, Lord, you're right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. If you are burdened with sin, if those are around those that are around us are burdened with sin and haven't been set free from that burden, you tell them to beg and plead. Every scrap that falls on the ground, grab a hold of it and give him, give God no rest until he frees you from that burden. Because if you have a burden on your back, he's teaching you something. And you give him his promises right back to him. You said, come everyone who thirsts and I'll give you water. Lord, give me water to drink. You who have no money, come by and eat. Lord, give me food and water even if it's scraps. That prodigal son, all he wanted from his father was some bread. And his father killed the fatted calf. He lavished the riches of his grace upon him. We have a God who delights in mercy. That is you'll never reach the end of the storehouse of the riches of His grace. Never do it. Never do it. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your great gift of Your grace. We thank You that You made a way you provided that way. You've secured that way. And then you've revealed to us through your word who that way is and what he has done and how we might be partakers of the grace that you've given in and through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us, give us hearts that desire to share this with others. Lord, help us to share this with our family, our friends, our enemies. That they might experience freedom from bondage, freedom from sin, freedom from the burdens that weigh them down. And they too might live to your glory and your honor. Lord, help us to be mindful of these things. Help us to walk worthy of our calling. That we might glorify you in the things that we do and the words that we say. 
Lord, that we might constantly be shining a light that is a reflection of you. We might always be pointing others to you and to your cross. Lord, be with us throughout this week. It's your name we pray. Amen.